0: Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info@capitalchurch.co. At uh, I, I have a few minutes uh, to share what God has put in my heart. This is an interesting message. I uh, usually what I do with my my talks is I'll I'll spend. Usually the beginning of the year, and I'll map out like a year's worth of, of content, and then usually the week or two before I preach on anything, I'm writing and thinking and praying and researching, and I, I love it. And thank you for the opportunity to let me do that. You still come back week after week. You guys are amazing. Uh, this week, though, uh, I've been thinking about this particular message on community. Everyone say community. And I uh, started praying about it, researching, thinking through some things, and um, have you ever been there where you've been writing, and you kind of have a trajectory, you have like a goal, and all of a sudden, as you're writing, you're, you start emphasizing something else. And I felt like that was um, the Holy Spirit for me this week, and so uh, I changed some things late last night. I had a little baby spitting up all over me, writing, and, and uh, late, late, late last night. Um, but uh, so hopefully today... This isn't just a stream of consciousness. Hopefully I can coherently share what I feel like the Holy Spirit has put on my heart. Uh, We're still in our thoughts and things series, and I want to deal with our need. Everyone say need. Our need for community. Let me sharpen that up. I think we all have a need for church. We have a need for church. And so that's kind of my working thesis here today. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to relate that to Jesus. We'll talk a little bit about anxiety. Um, but we're going to close up this Thoughts and Things series uh, probably next week. And uh, we'll probably resume it maybe later le- later down the road, maybe the end of this year, maybe the beginning of next year. Hopefully you've been blessed uh, with this this sermon series. As we talk about anxiety, depression, worry, how to um, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, et cetera. Uh, and then this summer, we're really excited to start and launch our relationship series. And we're going to be talking about everything from marriage, to raising a family, being a part of the church, how you should be a Dallas Cowboy fan, no cats are allowed, I mean, all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, But this is a series that's going to be really practical, and uh, I, I don't want you to miss it uh, I want you to be, really be a part of this um, uh, summer series. It's going to be, I think, one of our best series that we've done. So if you could turn really quick to your Bibles, if you brought your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26. Uh, if you did bring your Bible, we have uh, the text up behind me. We have Jesus, and I think I read this a couple weeks ago, Jesus in verse 36 I love the I love I love hearing the pages turn. That's that's a that's a nice sound, man. I love second service. I didn't hear that first service, but I heard it second. Right? I love all services. Verse thirty six. Then Jesus went with his his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Right? He goes to the local Olive Garden, has some breadsticks. No. And he said to his disciples, "Sit here while I go over there and pray." And taken with him, how many believe in prayer? Okay. And taken with uh, him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He goes, remain here and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed. This is his own version of his prayer. My father, Abba, father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And everyone said amen. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we uh, thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you that you are. You're here this morning, Lord. I just ask you to bless every son, every daughter in this room today. Lord, we thank you that you're setting into motion uh, new things in our life. Lord, we just thank you that this is going to be a summer of miracles. Lord, we believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you love the Golden State Warriors. And everyone said. Amen. Uh anyone watch TV? <laughs> so you're like, is this a trick question? <laughs> don't <laughs> yeah. Um it's funny, I'm in a season where I, I don't get to watch a, a lot of a lot of TV. Uh yesterday I had thirty seconds. Thirty seconds to watch the PGA championship. That was like vacation for me, right? I'm raising about fifty kids and so there's like not a lot of wiggle room. Uh, my wife and I, we joke, we, uh, we have a van, and um, one of our favorite times of the day is putting our kids in the van and then walking around the van really slowly. That's like our... That's how we keep our, our sanity, right? Um, so I, I, I don't watch a lot of TV. When I do, I love, I love me some ESPN, maybe a little bit of news, but news is getting a little crazy. Um, But I want to begin, I want to talk about our problem here today with, I'll bring this full circle, our problem with community. Um, We want it, but we don't. And I want to, as a pastor, I'm going to share some observations that I have with, you know, this is about 22, 23 years of experience. I know I look like I'm 28, right? But uh, I've been in ministry a while now, and I've seen some things. And so I'm going to push back on some practices that I think that are unhelpful. Um, as, um, uh, as, as I've seen it when it comes to uh, being the church. And so you can certainly push back if you want. I usually say to my interns, anyone I teach, I'm about 80% right on most of what I teach, 20%, you can whatever, right? So I'm going to do my very best. I've studied this, and I feel like this is the Holy Spirit. Um, but I want to talk about problems that we have with community. So I want to begin with um, Parks and Rec. I brought that full circle. Parks and Rec. I, I, my source here is John Tyson. He's, he's a great teacher. Um, but Ron Swanson, right? The great philosopher. Love his mustache. Have you ever seen Parks and Rec? I've only seen one show. Uh, you know, I'm sure most of you watch TV a lot. Um, but Ron Swats, Swanson, in this one episode, is having a conversation with uh, Leslie. Leslie, she has her. Um, uh, boyfriend, and she's frustrated in her relationship with her boyfriend, right? Uh, from from the face of it or prima facie, the boyfriend is, he's good, um, he's decent, he's successful, he's a pretty good guy, but for whatever reason, Leslie does not like, she can't put words to it, her boyfriend. So Ron Swanson, right, comes in, and this is what he says, kind of the archetype of truth-telling And he says this. I love his voice. I've only seen like one episode. So Um, he's a tourist. He's talking to uh, Leslie. He vacations in people's lives. He takes pictures of them and puts them into his scrapbook. And then he moves on. He doesn't want relationship. All he wants is stories. He's selfish. You're not. And that is why you do not like your boyfriend. Think about this. He vacations in people's lives. He's a tourist when it comes to relationships. I, that struck me. He's a tourist. As I've surveyed, right, it's kind of, I mean, a little drama- melodramatic, but as I have looked at the, at the cultural and church landscape, I get a sense that there's a lot of spiritual tourism when it comes to church. We like to take vacations. We like to come to churches. We like to sit maybe in the front row, the middle row. This is, I'm not judging anybody here. If this is you, I'm not here to judge anybody. I love you. Please love me back, right? But just hear what I'm saying. I just got to push back a little bit. I'm going to, I'm putting on my pastor hat. And I just want to share my thoughts about the state of affairs, I think, in our modern contemporary life. But there are people who come to church as tourists. They treat the church as a, as a place of vacation. In other words, we've commodified the church. We've commodified love. In, in, in other words, the church is only um, useful for us based on our preference. And I'll explain that here pretty soon. Zygmunt, I think Zygmunt Brown, he wrote a book on liquid love. Again, my source here is John Tyson. And uh, he wrote this um, book about the consumer culture, and this is what he writes. In a consumer culture like ours, which favors product products ready for instant use, for quick fixes, for instantaneous satisfaction, results calling for no um, protracted effort, foolproof uh, recipes, all money-back guarantees, in this culture... The promise to learn the art of loving is a promise to make the love experience in the likeness of other commodities. That it that it lure and seduce and promise to take the waiting out of wanting, the sweat out of effort, and effort out of results. In other words, what he's saying is we are so we we live and we imbibe a preference-based economy. So everything for us is easy, right? And how many of you love easy? That's not your question. Yes, come on, everyone said amen, right? I don't like drama. I like everything packaged. Like, I, I'm so glad we don't live in the 19th century, and we got like, to hunt rabbit, and we got to build our own homes, and we got to live off the land, because I'd be dead in about two weeks. And my family, it's over, right? <laughs> but we have people who can build our houses. We have people that make food and package everything for us. So um, we live in, a, in, in, in on one level. I know we still have a lot of drama, but on one level we kind of have, if you compare it to the 19th century, and even the early part of the 20th century, we live in a drama-free world. In fact, again, one scholar says, and this is not to get too dra- uh, graphic, um, because we just want uh, to cut to easy and convenient, you can have sex with a stranger within 30 minutes by going to an app. This is the culture that we live in. In fact, John Tyson calls it a Velcro relationship. Now, as a parent, I love Velcro. (laughs) Tying shoes, I'm not joking, tying shoes sometimes feels demonic, right? I've yet, don't judge me, I've yet to teach my kids how to tie their shoes because we are a Velcro family, to God be the glory. (laughs) Right, I just love it because it's easy. You just you put Velcro. I wish we had Velcro for everything, Velcro for shoes, Velcro for clothes. The problem, I and mean, Velcro's great. Like I'm not hating on Velcro, but when it comes to love, when it comes to the church, it's funny. We got a Velcro relationship. So when things, because we 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 choose preference over commitment, and because we don't want drama, we don't want effort, we don't want work. Right? We don't, we don't, I mean, some of us have been hurt, I get it, by church, we don't want all the mess of church. We kind of, we come to churches, and we just kind of sit there as tourists, and we take, right? Because now, it, the, the question, I, this is my thoughts, you can disagree with me, but my thoughts now are that most of us are religious consumers, and I'm talking to myself. Like, we base, every, we base going to churches based, or we choose churches, excuse me, based on a do they have the right songs, right? Right? Bethel, awesome, that's your church. Some, there are some people that want hour long worship. Like, shoot me now, if that's the case, okay? I love long worship times. Why did I even say that, guys? Don't shoot me now. Oh my gosh, okay, please forgive me for that. Holy Spirit, please forgive me. All right. Um, some people want 30-minute worship. Some people want songs. Some people want more Pentecostal. Some people want more Anglican. Some people want high liturgy, low liturgy. Some people want Episcopalian experience. Some people want like, different kinds and models of kids' ministry and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with having preferences, okay? We all have preferences, but we can't build a New Testament church on preference alone, so the question, to kind of kind of go back to what I was saying about a minute ago, the question is not if you're a religious consumer, the question is how much of a religious consumer are you? And I'm going to try to hit this over the next few months. We are preference-centric people. And so if the kids' ministry, which our kids love, changes one day and our kids don't like it, we then go to the other church that satisfies our need. If the preaching doesn't, man, man, doesn't like minister to me like it's not my thing, then because we have Velcro relationships, it's easy to leave and go from church to church to church. Now, hey, I'm not like saying that if you're from another church and you're visiting here and you're trying to figure out things that there's something wrong with you. What I am going after is this lifestyle of church shopping. Of course, sometimes we go in seasons, we need to figure out maybe a right fit, but ultimately it's not even about a right fit. Like I, I can, am, am I getting too hard, too strong? I, I think, man, I, I think rather than basing a decision to go to church on preference and what fits us and what ministers to my needs And I'm just being honest, I think we need to make a decision uh, to go to a church based on God. Do you want me to be involved in this church? Where's the voice of God? Now, many of us have come to this church because we liked it, so this is no judgment. I get it. Um, But I want us to move into a new phase of church. And we're gonna be talking about this over the next three months, where we learn to be a family and we learn to build the church not on our preferences but based on radical commitment. So number one, we have a problem, I think, with the church because we live by our preferences. Number two, I think, and this is a legitimate concern for many people, some of us have a problem to really engage the church, be a part of a church, belong to church, because of our expectations. Or maybe failed expectations. I did this first service. I'm going to do it right now. How many of you, this is not a trick question, how many of you have been hurt by somebody in the church? Over half of you, right? I'm raising my hand because there are many people that I've looked up to um, that have failed to live up to my expectations. So I get it. There's a gravitational pull in our world to draw us away from being together. There's this pull, and I feel I, had to, I wrestled with this this week, um, but there's this pull away from really being committed to serving and loving and being a part of God's people. Everyone feels it. We kind of live in this cross-pressured world where the world is trying to distract us away from truly belonging and being a part of the church. The problem with expectations is that usually our expectations are false, or wrong, right? I know we've heard, many of us have been hurt by past church experiences, and that's totally legitimate. And we love you, and we believe that God can bring healing to you. Can I get an amen to that? But here's the problem with um, our relationship and our status, or the state of affairs with many people when it comes to the church is we have false expe- expectations plus a complete lack of self awareness. Like, here's the thing there is no such thing, we say it because it's such a platitude, but it's so true. There is no perfect church out there. I've been in many counseling situations for over 22 years where I've I've had people hold the church, our church to a standard, which I'm like totally with them, right? I'm totally agreeing. Hey, there's some legitimate concerns that you have. I know the things we have to work on and the things that we want to get better at, and I would agree with them. But it was interesting, they would hold our church or other churches to a standard that they were unwilling to hold themselves to. I've been in so many situations where people are complaining and critiquing the church for the thing that they're wrestling with in their own life. So it's important for us to understand that, yeah, when it comes to the church, the church is going to be messy. Right? It's not going to always... Feel right. Sometimes it's going to be awkward, maybe like today, or not. Sometimes you know it's just we, we maybe maybe church didn't totally minister to our needs. I get that, but the church is absolutely essential for us if we want to experience the power of God in our life. So we have church shoppers, and a lot of it is because people, man, they either don't want to deal with uh, the mess of church or people shop from church to church to church because they're preference-centric. We also have something called church surfing. This was my pastoral observation. Church surfing is simple. Again, I'm not trying to make any judgment on anyone. Maybe you do this. This is great. This is fine. But can I just push back just a little bit? Church surfing is the idea that I'm going to go to one church and their 9 o'clock service. Then I'm going to do an 11 o'clock service at another church, and then I'm going to go to another church at at the 5 o'clock, and then I'm going to go to another church at 7. I'm just going to get all of God. That's awesome. But that is also exhausting. Why? Well, here's the thing. The New Testament consistently says that we are not measured by what we know. 1 Corinthians 13 says knowledge puffs up. But what is the most important thing? Faith, hope, and... So we are defined by not, by, not by what we know, not by even our wisdom. We are defined by our love. We are defined by how we give our lives away. We are defined by our service. Jesus told his disciples, his little homeboys, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be a servant. Greatness in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus is not knowledge or power, or beauty, it is learning to serve. And when you're going to four different services, yeah, you can get a lot, but essentially what you're, what you're doing is you're just taking. It's impossible to love when you go to four different churches. And it is exhausting, right? Well, Some people say, well, I just, I just prefer prefer that, you know, I prefer um, to go to those services and just get all of God, and that's great, but I just want to challenge you that if you really want to enter into love, if you really want to be a part of a New Testament community, if you really want to experience the awe and the power of Jesus in your life, if you're tired of an unfulfilled life, if you're tired of futility and exhaustion, plant yourself in a church and watch and see what God will do in your life. So we don't live by preference alone. We live by commitment. I am so glad, my wife, I've been married for 12 years. Many of you know this. I am so glad that my, there are many days that my wife does not prefer me. (laughs) That is a euphemism, right? Like there are days I know she doesn't prefer especially in the fall when the Dallas Cowboys are playing, right? She does not prefer me, right? But here's the thing. My wife is committed to me. Her, her, her relationship with me is based on covenant, not preference. And so, yeah, there are days where I'm sure I frustrate her, but thank God she doesn't base our relationship on preference. She bases it on loving covenantal, come on, relationship. Why, why, why should we be co- radically committed to a local church and being a part and really giving ourselves away to a local church is because Jesus has done this for us. Jesus has done this for us. I'm, Jesus doesn't always prefer everything in our life, but he's committed to us. Can I get an amen? amen. Absolutely committed to us. I'm going to get to this passage that we read in Matthew 26, and then we'll land this plane. But let me just say this really quick. Bonhoeffer wrote this. Every human, he's dealing with the mess of church. Every human idolized image that is brought into the Christian community um, is a hindrance to genuine community. It must be broken up so that genuine community can survive. Those who love the dream of Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though they have good intentions, or their personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial, God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dream a proud and pretentious one. And then He describes how those who just love the idea of community turn to radical judgment statements. They then turn into demanding um, individuals. They begin to judge others. They begin to judge God himself, and they begin to judge themselves. They do not, um, or they act as if they are in charge, and they begin to accuse people of their deficiencies. I get this. I understand that the church can be messy, but God loves the church. The glory, the glory of God is that He associates with weak, suffering, anxious, exhausted, messed up people. And everyone said Amen. amen. Quickly, this preference based society that we live in combined with um, failed expectations that have caused people to draw away from community in general has led to loneliness. Again, I get this from John Tyson. Uh, he cites this Cigna report. Cigna um, researched uh, 20,000 adults, and they came up with this index, this loneliness index, and uh, they discussed the results of the state of relationships in America, and this is what they concluded. Half of Americans report often Uh, that they feel alone or left out. Half of Americans. One in four Americans rarely feel or never feel that people understand them. One in five actually um, don't have real relationships where they feel like they can be vulnerable. In fact, Generation Z, according to John Tyson, is is the generation of the loneliest generation in American history. Generation Z is, I think, 22 years of age and younger. Loneliness is associated with cardiovascular problems, premature deaths. It's a physiological event, right? Uh, you're more likely, less likely uh, to sleep because of loneliness. There's a reduction of reasoning and creativity in workplace um, production. Uh, loneliness leads to mental health issues, anxiety, depression, suicide, poor coping mechanisms. In fact, loneliness and social isolation is as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So how many of you think that, man, we we need to belong? Church is actually pretty important, and I just want to make over the next just few minutes how important it is. So we come to Matthew chapter 26, and Jesus is in the throes of a panic attack. He wants to escape. Uh, In the words of Dr. uh, Tim Mackey, um, his emotions are catching up to him. Jesus has been talking, predicting that he would die at the hands of Roman oppression for some time. But Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is now processing these emotions. In fact, Jesus is not okay in this garden. Wrestling with um, the horror the horrifying um, end of crucifixion, separation from his father. In fact, what we know is that, and this might be a little bit abstract, but just kind of follow me, we know that what's happening to Jesus as he's sweating uh, drops of blood, as he's in this um, panic attack, again, he's trying to process all, all these emotions, is that we have Isaiah 51 and a few other passages telescoped and actually being worked out in this vignette with Jesus. Jesus, in other words, is standing in for his people. Jesus is taking on the wrath of God that we find or the justice of God over human arrogance and human rebellion into his body. In fact, it is the justice of God that is coursing through his body. And Jesus is taking it for you and I. What's, imagine, though. Imagine you're the disciples and you're seeing Jesus on the ground, weeping his face off, having a panic attack, right? Usually when I've, when I've read this passage before, I, I kind of think of it in stilted ways. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I usually kind of think of Jesus quoting Psalm 42 and talking about his sorrow uh, like, like he was using Queen's English or something like that. I grew up reading New King James, and so I never fully understood the ramifications of, of Jesus wrestling through these human emotions. Could you imagine what the disciples are experiencing? This must have been bizarre. Jesus is their the rock, uh, solid foundation. Jesus is the one who walked on water. Jesus is the one who healed the sick. Jesus was, in the words of N.T. Wright, the happiest person alive. Can I get an amen to that? Not, there's nothing that Jesus could not do, do. Yeah, Jesus would get cross at some time, like sometimes. He, he called uh, Peter the Satan. Uh, once, he, he, he took tables and he overthrew those tables uh, on two different occasions in the temple. Yes, so Jesus could get angry, but Jesus was the happiest person alive. And the disciples are trying to process this. What are they thinking? I remember um, when I was eight or nine years old, went to a Thanksgiving uh, meal, and there was a person that I really respect just completely lost it. They started saying words I'd never heard before, starting throw, throwing stuff. I still respect them, still love them. But I remember, my, I think it was my grandmother took me and my sisters and my cousins. And it wasn't my parents that were throwing stuff, just to try to clarify. <laughs> took us to another room, and I remember just being like overwhelmed, like, what, what is, what is going, what's going on? The disciples, I'm sure, are processing this, right? Here's the thing. Let, let me say this really quick. Um, Jesus, as he's processing these emotions, is still in faith. He still clings to his trust in the absolute goodness of his Father. It's funny how many times we, we, uh, we bifurcate faith and pain, meaning this. Um, many of us think that if we're in faith, we can't wrestle with our feelings. Like if we're really faith people, we got to be automatons. Right? We can't feel anything. we got to be like the ancient Stoics or maybe like the, the new modern um, like Buddhists. Like we're detached from our emotions, and that is simply not true. You can be in faith. You can still trust in the absolute goodness of the Father and still process through your feelings and your emotions. But then you have other people that, that, that they make the claim that if you're in pain, if you're in, in suffering, you can't have faith. I still think as you process your emotions, you still can can experience the goodness of God in your pain. Can I get an amen to that? So we have this, this fascinating juxtaposition of Jesus being in faith, but at the same time being in his pain. Let me just say this really quick. It is okay for you today to not be okay. And some of you need to hear this because you're struggling with anxiety and frustration and unfulfillment, maybe some of you are struggling with disillusionment and despair, I want to encourage you, it is okay to not be okay because whatever you're experiencing, Jesus is right there. Jesus is at the bottom of your pain and your sorrow and your anxiety and your suffering. So Jesus, how does Jesus get out of this? How does he transition through the Garden of Gethsemane and on his way to the cross. Well, he believes in the absolute goodness of his father, number one. Number two, he prays scripture, which is really important. But finally, number three, Jesus is lonely. And over and over and over, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, come and watch with me. Jesus, the one who holds quantum mechanics, and and general relativity together in tension. Jesus, who all of the cosmos runs through, has, in other words, a need for community. That's fascinating for me. Jesus needs friends. Jesus needs the church. If Jesus needs the church, I think we need the church. I think we need each other. I don't think we're designed, in this passage, I think it makes it very clear throughout the New Testament, I don't think we're designed to do life by ourselves. I don't think we can carry all of our responsibilities by ourselves. I think we're designed to carry life together. and Jesus puts a stop to this idea that I can follow Jesus without belonging to the people of God. Jesus needed community. Now here's the thing. We've talked about this uh, over the last several months. But the Satan, we talk about this Satan figure, Satan in the Old Testament. It's an impersonal title that describes this quasi-personal force that is against God's purpose. The Satan seeks to lie to everyone in this room and the way that he does that is by isolating us. We find in Genesis chapter two, the Satan comes and challenges the goodness of God. He takes Eve and separates her from Adam and God himself. And it's in isolation that he's able to distort the facts, distort her beliefs, distort her thoughts, her ideas, and her images about the cosmos, about the garden, about her husband, about herself, about God himself. It's in isolation that the Satan can deceive us. Left to ourselves, left to our thoughts, we are not in a good place. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's in isolation that our thinking, our de- ideas, our beliefs become distorted. It's in iso- isolation that we exaggerate other people's faults, right? Um, we, this is in isolation, this is where resentment grows. We win fake arguments in the shower, right, in our car. <laughs> it's in isolation that we demonize, or de- what do you say, demonize? We'll dehumanize people. It's in isolation that we, because we're so disconnected from other people that we psychoanalyze the motives of other people. This is why I think there's so much rage and outrage on Twitter and Instagram and all these social media platforms. The reason why people can shamelessly call other people out is because they're disconnected from people. A call-out culture is rooted first in dehumanizing other people. And this is why people rage in traffic. Now, I don't like the traffic in Meridian. Like, you know my thoughts on traffic. But I've realized that my, the source of my frustration when it comes to people like, cut in front of me comes from the basic fact that I don't see them as people. I might see the back of their head, right? But it's funny how I can quickly just dehumanize them and then just in my mind, like, just, like, go crazy or whatever. Like, some of you go way too crazy. Um, I've never gone way too crazy. But in my mind, I have said things that I regret saying because I have made the move to dehumanize someone. I'm so disconnected from them, right? Here's the thing. When you're in a relationship, it's hard to critique. When you're in a relationship with someone, it's hard to critique, it's hard to lampoon, it's hard to psychoanalyze someone's motives. You can still do it. I get that. In marriage, right, we kind of do this. But God, thank God, His grace is sufficient for us. Can I get an amen to that? But we need the church. We need to belong. In fact, Dallas Willard states that it is ideas and images which are used to create cultural and personal strongholds in our life. They hijack our destiny. They hijack human flourishing. And the way the devil does this is not by presenting an intimidating presentation of himself. He does it through an idea, and he does it by isolating us from each other. So who are we as we close? Who are we as followers of Jesus? Are we just individuals, right, following Jesus, Are we preference-based people or are we committed-based people? Well, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says this. So that through the church, Paul writes, everyone say the church. The The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He says through the what? Through the church. Not through atomized individuals, but through the church, right? Not just through Pastor Ken Wilde or garrison, or the Bobs in here, or whatever. It's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So we are not just defined as individuals, and God loves every individual in this room. We are defined by being a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are a people. We are a church. In fact, First Peter chapter two, nine through 10 says this, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are not persons. We are a people. We're not just, again, a collection of, like, atomized people hanging out with each other. No, we are a chosen nation. We are a royal priesthood set apart to declare the goodness of God together. Together. In fact, you can read this in um, The Patient Ferment of the early church, Alan Crider, um, famous researcher, writer. He wrote that when the pagans saw the Christians in the first three centuries, they, they said often not how great their power or their miracles were. What they said always when they talked about the Christians was this, see how they love each other. In fact, Emperor Julian, I've mentioned this many times, was so enraged over the practice of hospitality and generosity when it came to the Christians, that he actually asked his priests to try to mimic what the Christians were doing because they were transforming the Roman Empire through their love, their generosity, their charity. It's through our charity and our love by being together that God transforms the world. This is how we erase anxiety. If you want a staircase out of anxiety, if you want a staircase out of your despair and loneliness and hopelessness, the key is learning to be a part, really a part of a church where people are there supporting you in your time of need. Galatians chapter six, verse two says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are called to bear each other's burdens. If one person in this room is sick, we're called to bear that. Can I get an amen? If there's one person in despair, we're called to to bear that. If there's one person addicted to something that's dehumanizing their life, we are called to bear that. We belong together. And not only are we called to bear that, we are also called, because we belong to the church, to let other people bear our weight, our despair, our depression, when we can no longer bear it. Can I get an amen? Powerful, we belong to the church. The building blocks of community is pretty simple and we find this in Acts chapter two. I wanna write this, or I wanna read this, sorry. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Dr. Luke writes, and they devoted, everyone say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship into the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe. How many of you want more awe? Came upon every soul, awe. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I just I'm fascinated with this passage. So we close here. So there's awe, there's there's miracles. How many of you think we need more miracles in the church? What's the secret to that, right? Do we work harder for miracles? I mean, I I believe in prayer, but do we pray harder? I think we need to pray, yeah, without question. But if we want to see more miracles in the church, I think the key, go all the way back to the first sentence in verse 42, it says that they were committed or devoted to the practice or the practices of Jesus together. I think that's the building block of miracles. It's people who are committed, everyone say committed, to the practices of Jesus, to the teachings of Jesus, to the fellowship, to tabling, to generosity, to doing life together. They're committed to the prayer, to to all the practices and disciplines that we've talked about and they do it together. And that is the foundation for transformative moments where lives are being saved, bodies are being healed, and miracles begin to break out. I wonder, this is just my thoughts, can I just, I want to sit down, I'm tired guys, I just, I won't. Then um, my thoughts, I just have to wonder if, man, if we have a miracle life could it be could it be that we're not really committed to doing life with each other it says that they were devoted to the practices of jesus together and then what happened you had all signs and wonders and lavish generosity in fact it's through being devoted together and loving each other through the miracles that the Roman Empire in three centuries was transformed upside down. So as we close, are you guys still with me? Is this coherent? Okay. I think in, in closing, I think we have to reject this idea that spirituality is an individualistic pursuit. Like it's just, some, it's just me and Jesus, right? I might every now and then go, go to coffee with somebody, but it's just about me, and I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing, right? There's a lot of that in, in our culture today. And a lot of that is, you see this with podcasts, and, and I love podcasts, and I, I, man, I watch, listen to podcasts a lot, but there are a lot of people that use podcasts as a substitute for being a part of the church. One scholar, pastor wrote this, I love this. He goes, I would rather be a part of a C-plus church than have an A-plus podcast as a substitute. He's not saying don't listen to podcasts. Please listen to podcasts. But don't let podcasts be a substitute for being a part of a church, right? Hey, I'll say it this way. I'd rather be a part of of a C-minus New Orleans Pelicans team. I'd rather be a part of their team and be in the NBA than online playing NBA 2K for the Warriors. Can I get an amen to that? Why? NBA 2K is not real. Even though I'm having an A-plus experience and Steph is my avatar and I'm killing it online. It's totally, totally, it's a huge legacy, right? It's amazing. Man, I'd rather play for the New Orleans Pelicans and be horrible, right, Then play NBA 2K, right? That's the thing. I, I want us to be a part of the church. I want us to learn to belong. We're called to belong together. So we must put a, must put a full stop to spirituality as an individualistic pursuit. Kerry uh, Newhoff says this, there's no faster way to render a community ineffective than to isolate its members and people from each other. He goes on to say that attendance, now it seems, to be a new spiritual discipline on Sundays. Because people are church shopping and church hopping and church surfing. And some of us come to church and there's no judgment, maybe one time a month or whatever. Let me just say this really quick. Man, this, this summer, go on vacations. Can I get an Amen. Like go to go to the beach. Drink a non-alcoholic pina colada for me, right? Um, have a great time in the sun. Get a suntan. How many of you know we need more sun? Okay. Have a great vacation. Maybe camping's your thing. Go go camping. Be miserable. Do whatever, right? Weirdos, right? We're all weirdos. So what I'm not talking about is not we can't take vacations this summer or whatever. Um, when we talk about you know, church attendance, please, please do that. But there's something to be said about attending on a Sunday morning as a spiritual discipline. It's funny, five years ago, people would ask me uh, what I did for a living, and I would tell them, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I usually got, like, a befuddled look, like, you don't look like a pastor, all that kind of stuff. It's funny, about two you know, I went to Whole Foods and uh, the, the cashier guy, really nice guy, asked me what I did for a living. I told him, hey, I'm a you know, pastor, do theology, write, all that kind of stuff. I'm part of a great church. And he looked at me as if I was a dinosaur. It was the weirdest thing. And he actually said, I have, this is, These are his words, and he's very sincere. He goes, You are the first Christian that I've ever met. It's funny, we're living in a, in, a, in a culture that is being pulled away from community, being pulled away from the church. People, are they have no interaction with, with Christians. And if we're not careful, we can fall into that gravitational pull away from being the church. Like devotion, as I close here for the sixth time, devotion, devotion, to a public gathering on a Sunday is a countercultural act. But I believe it's a spiritual discipline. So, what do we do with this talk? What's our takeaway? Go on vacation. Have a great time this summer. Let's believe that this summer is going to be a summer of miracles. I believe that many of you are going to be healed in your bodies. We're going to see God do great things in our families, in our marriages. I can't wait to talk about relationships. I can't wait to talk about marriages. I can't wait to talk about raising 50 kids. It's gonna be awesome, guys. But what I would like you to make a commitment to this summer is to make Sunday morning a spiritual discipline. Show up. Don't just show up. Open your heart. Just don't open your heart to the word. Open your heart to your neighbor ask questions, get outside of yourself, go to the lobby, ask questions about how you can get involved, pray about how you can get involved, just show up. And over the next three months, we're going to give you a blueprint of how you can get connected in this community, how you can serve and be a part of what God wants to do, not only in this church, but in this city. And everyone said amen.